What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Before we get into it, I'd like to take a moment to thank those of you out there that support this podcast by sharing one of our episodes on social media or telling a friend about it or or even purchasing an all-I-need skateboard or some of our apparel. Um, you guys make this all happen. Uh, it couldn't happen without support from listeners like you, so it means a lot to me. Thank you. Also, quick update with All I Need is we will be hosting a mini ramp jam at Surf Expo in Orlando, Florida on January 25th and 26th. If you are in the area, please come out, say what's up. The whole team will be there uh, and come say what up. Come say what up and uh, let's meet and shred. There's a mini ramp there and you can check out all the new apparel and, and decks. And that trade show is pretty wild, man. It's massive. So. It'd be sick to meet some of you guys. Um, yeah, I think that's it. It's about to be 2018. Uh, I'm really grateful to have skateboarding in my life and to have a community of healthy-minded, happy, passionate people that are pushing into the future. It means a lot to me. You guys are fucking sick. <laughs> so, yeah, today's guest is legendary skateboarder Josh Harmony. Um we sat down, we chopped it up uh, about everything. I mean, we talked about his uh, formative years, coming up skating, getting involved with a skate shop, uh, getting hooked up with Active Ride Shop, Toy Machine, meeting Ed, Ed Templeton. Um, we even touched on religion, uh, a whole bunch of stuff, man. It was a really great conversation, and it felt good to connect again with Josh because I met Josh way back in the day when we were a lot younger we were definitely different people so i don't know we just picked right up where we left off and uh feel like i got a friend i <laughs> uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode and i'll see you next year i just love the skating and the scene rain rain go away all i need is a skateboard today or today or today This is the Shetler Show featuring professional skateboarder, podcaster, and All I Need Skate founder, Anthony Shetler. So everyone was, it was hot. Everyone was doing it. Yeah, they're looking for their dad's fucking metal skateboards in the garage. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And on this thing. <laughs> Each episode brings you amazing discussions with interesting people from all walks of life. Kind of when skateboarding clicked for me and you learn some tricks or whatever and you get that appreciation from your peers, you know, the other skaters are like, holy shit, like, yeah, dude, that's rad. Admiration. Yeah, yeah that admiration or the, the affirmation. Real. Recognize real. If I didn't experience those crazy moments in my life, then these great moments would never be as great as they have been. Honestly, like for me, I just loved it. Like I saw those dudes, I saw those videos, and I was like, holy fuck, this is sick. Yeah. This is what I want to do. Hell yeah, Josh. <laughs> Thanks for bearing with me there. Of course. Hell yeah. Um, it's been a long time, so I feel like we got a lot to catch up on, but 
I mean, when's the first... Well, I feel like the first memory I had of you was a trip where we went to Tampa, right? Back in the day. Was that the trip where we were off with Billy... Was Patrick O'Dell on that, too? Yeah, I feel like that was, um... Yep, Nick, Dave Huang, uh, Peter was there, I believe. Damn, well, that was early on. That had to have been, like, 15 years ago, maybe even more. Crazy. Yeah, it was wild. It was a different era. <laughs> yeah, was it? Was that like a one of the? Had you been on trips prior to that? Um. Yeah, I had. I'd been on some flight machine ones and stuff. They were pretty similar, I guess. Yeah. I remember at one point on that tour, we stopped and got fireworks, <laughs> and then someone threw a smoke bomb in the van and then held the door shut. And it was Yeah, that was for sure Billy, though. It had to have been. <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember Patrick was one of them, too. They were, like, in the door shut. Yeah, that's... Evil, but awesome at the same time. Yeah, that was super wild. Billy was, like, a real-life Bart Simpson, basically. Or probably still is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Right. No, uh, it's crazy. On those early Toy Machine tours, Ed used to take us out to the desert or wherever we were in the woods and, like... We just blow stuff up just to get the angst out. We were just so, we were just so, just hell bent on destruction that we just needed to like get the poison out for a little bit. Yeah, it's smart of Ed to do that because I'm sure shit gets damaged like hotel rooms and vans and whatnot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, Caswell lit M80s under my pillow when I was sleeping. Billy threw a a, a water. Like water dynamite or like a little like a I can't remember what how big they were. It's probably like this big and flush it down the toilet. Oh no! Fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Flooded the hotel. It was pretty cool. Gnarly. Yeah, it sound it sounds sick unless you have to pay for it. Then you're like, God damn it! <laughs> I know a collections agency that came to Ed's house after that tour. <laughs> they were just trying to figure out what had happened because the. <laughs> The, uh, it was just so much chaos that he, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they're just like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like he's in charge of all these little minions that are just destructive. Right. <laughs> right. Um, okay, so I kind of want to start at the beginning. Like, what was the, what's your first memory of, like, skating? What was the first thing that turned you on to skating? Oh, there was a kid that lived in my neighborhood up the street <laughs> skater this was probably like 91 or 92 and he was really good tiny wheels down the top 360 flip on the sidewalk and then and then a perfect front side flip off like a curb cut Gnarly. and I just I was like Gosh, how old was I then? I was probably like nine or ten, and I just remember thinking like that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life, you know? Yeah. And I I remember like thinking like if I could get a skateboard, I could figure out how to like do stuff like that in my front yard and keep myself entertained, you know? Because I never really was into sports or anything like that, and I think that for some reason it was just really appealing. And then I kind of talked about it with my dad, and then um, I had to wait till Christmas, but. I got a, my first skateboard, 
It was a Beer City purple slick bling. <laughs> nice. Cadillac wheels and venture trucks. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, the slick. That's crazy. You're dating yourself with the slicks. <laughs> <laughs> I had some slicks. I had like some Alien Workshop slicks back in the day. Yeah, so did I. Did, do you think they actually worked? I don't even know if they really worked that well. <laughs> I don't know. I think as a kid though, it's like, I mean, I I didn't. I used to have to mow lawns and stuff and save money to get boards and whatnot. So I I felt like the slick was always like worth a little bit extra because then you felt like it would last longer or something. I don't know. Yeah. But it's well, your tail would just turn like into a razor tail at the same rate, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> and, and like it would de lamb too, because that layer or whatever. Right. It's pretty. Right. What do you? What do your parents do for work? Um, my mom was a teacher. She taught every grade, and then was a principal and vice principal. And then she retired from that when we were kids and started being a stay-at-home mom. And my dad was worked for a plastics company he's retired now but uh he he worked for like a company that did manufacturing for plastic and stuff like that he was vice president of that company did were you ever in your mom's class no uh-huh. well yeah i mean growing up always my mom was just like <laughs> so on it with the grammar and flashcards and everything <laughs> she, she took it super seriously but i was never my younger brother He's doing really well. He's still in college. He's saying to be a doctor, but his his uh, he was always much more academic than I was. Yeah. And then my older brother was like incredibly good at math and stuff. So she was always just cracking the whip. Yeah, you were you were like, I want to go skateboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Where where were you grow Where did you grow up? So we lived on, we lived in the East and then um, in the Midwest. And then when I was six, we moved to Southern California. And then I lived there until I was about 14 years old. And then we lived, we moved to the Chicagoland area, to like the Naperville Aurora area. And I lived there until I was 17. And then my parents moved back to California. And then when I was 17, like, right when I moved back to California, I sent in a sponsor me video to Toy Machine. Nice. And, and then my senior year of high school, I was able to graduate early because the credits I had from being in the Chicagoland area were, like, much better than the schools in California. Really? So I had to just, like, well, I just... I just took electives my senior year and then graduated early to go skating. Wow. <laughs> wow. Nice ride. Yeah, that seems like a good deal right there. That's crazy that there's a that big of a discrepancy. Say again? That's crazy that there's that big of a discrepancy in the credits between Chicago and California. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that the standards are a little higher. Yes. I think it has to do with the, the amount of people, too. I think it's the money and the and the and the amount of people. I think it's like I don't know, or maybe it's the weather. <laughs> it's just too good. It's too good to spend time indoors learning about stuff. <laughs> 
It's true. You feel like you get lost when you stay in Southern California for a long time. You feel like you're in a fucking, that movie where, uh, it's Groundhog's Day. Like, I did. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's weird. It's harder to remember when things happen because you don't remember, like, your buddy in, like, a puffy coat or something. When something went down, it's like you can't, (laughs) Yeah. I do. I, like, last year I had to shovel my roof off, like, at, like, 3 in the morning because there was so much fucking snow up there because I'm up in the Boston area. And, uh, my lady, our roof was, like, making weird noises in the middle of the night. And she's like, you got to go up there. I'm like, it's, like, 3 o'clock and there's, like, a foot and a half of snow. And she, like, talked talked me into it, dude. I'm up there shoveling off the whole roof. But, like, I won't forget that. (laughs) Right, no. Yeah, no, it's weird. It's weird, too, like, in the winter how how strong well you're getting less light and you just feel different and I think that it kind of creates like a, a bookmark sort of in your mind you know what I mean yeah it can kind of make you appreciate things more I think winter can you can feel sure. you can feel the ebbs and flow of time more because like right now you're in the midwest you said mm-hmm. well, yeah the, you, I'm in Minneapolis right now yeah you know then then you guys already got some snow or what yeah, yeah, so, like, it's weird, because I just was in summer mode for so long, and I was just like, go, 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 and everyone's working, and there's people are doing stuff, you know, and then when winter comes, it's like a little bit of a lull, the transition, you know, so I'm like, I go super stir-crazy, I'm like, ah, oh, I need to do something, so I start trying to think of stuff I want to do, you know, Right. but, like, you, you notice it, you notice the time, because the weather, the seasons are like, oh, yeah, people fluctuate and change. But I guess, like, imagine if you're just in California all the time, it's just, like, straight line the whole time with the weather, you know? Right. How long were you in California for? Um, I lived there from 17 till just, like, two years ago. What justified moving back to the winters? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think I just, I saw, I just saw the way it was going to go for me there. I mean, I have... I have a family, too, I'm taking care of, and so... Children? Yeah, children. Nice. And, and, I don't know, I just think, just on all levels, it just stopped making sense. I mean, not, there's not a day that goes by that I don't miss it or think about it. Like, I mean, I have, like, friends that I traveled the world with that live there, you know, and, like, you can't, I don't know, you can't replace any of those people, but when, like, it comes to, like making wise decisions about the future and being able to save money and stuff. Like, our mortgage there was so expensive. And then so was our, our property tax. It's just, like, unbelievable. And it basically was just a financial decision. And then I also wanted to be able to, like, in California, like, you know, as my skateboarding career comes to a close or, like, starts to wane, I'm not getting as much money. Like, it's more, like... Living here, I have the ability to pursue music and pursue art and some of the things that I enjoy, whereas in California, I just feel like I'd just be a slave to my mortgage. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I just saw it as, like, a, I just saw it as a way to just be free and be able to, like, continue to pursue who I am instead of, like, get trapped in, like, some kind of place where I'm, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm just treading water the whole time, you know? Well, yeah, you, well, you've kind of, like, you made your mark there. You defined yourself. You found your identity in California, I imagine. Like, right. your formative years. So to stay there, there's no, like, you've already sealing, you hit the ceiling, sort of say. Right. 
I could see that. Like, I stayed in California for two years, and uh, it was a good two years, but I felt that. I was like, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> some yeah. some about the particular asshole from my area that I like. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just familiar. I don't know if, it, if I like it or if it's just I see myself, you know? <laughs> it's, ra- it's rad to hear you talk about, like... Uh, Living in the Midwest in the weather and stuff, man. Because uh, last time I was just picture you in California. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I might move back there. I mean, I grew up all over the place, bouncing around. So I just don't. You know what I mean? I just don't have a problem with it. I do. Like the hardest thing for me with with California is honestly it's surfing. Like I love surfing so much and like going surfing in the morning before skating and stuff like that. <clears throat> but here it's different. There's like. I don't know, out here there's lakes galore, and I love fishing and sailing too, like I have this little sailboat, it's like a a day sailor sailboat, and I take it out, and there's two massive lakes, Lake Harriet and uh, Lake Calhoun, right right in the city, so you can drop a boat in there for free, and you know, there's this thing, there's things about it here that I feel like are very comparable to California, like there are things that are better, the education system's better here. I think it's the, I think it's just behind Seattle as far as literacy, like with the, you know, um, just the standards are just pretty high. So I don't know, there's things about it that are really good. I think that there's a, the nature too. Living in Southern California is really hard, like, when, you there's there's no place in Southern California where you can go and just be by yourself. Yeah. Now you'd have to go up past Big Bear in the mountains and like wander around, but even then there's like graffiti all over the rocks and stuff like you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, like urban no, sprawl. Yeah, it's yeah. the it's the concrete jungle and it's like the stuff you love about it, you hate about it too, you know, it's like it, it's it is what it is. It's beautiful and I'm not hating it at all. It's it's beautiful in its own ways. Like I think the culture and like the people are what make it so awesome, but the 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 crowd the way it's crowded and the way it's so expensive makes some of those things kind of bitter too. Like there's nothing that'll make there's nothing that made me turn into more of an asshole than when I would like really want to go surfing and there would just be too crowded. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, because it's like your getaway. It's like, dude, this was my getaway, and now it's jam-packed. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, that's kind of like in the... We have a skate park near us, and sometimes it's so packed with people that it's just like, I'm hyped, the place is killing it, but like, there's literally no corner to skate in. I'm like, what am I going right. to do? Like, I need this therapy, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then it's usually a thousand scooter kids. Yeah, they're everywhere, dude. It's crazy. I've been talking about that a lot on the podcast, just trying to combat it, because my rationale is that it's the easier thing. You're just letting them do the easier thing, and it's like, kids need a challenge. Like, I teach skateboard lessons on the weekends, in the morning, and I get kids that are five years old, because that's the age limit, and they they come in at five, and if they're really hyped on skating, like, they genuinely just have, like, some, like, what you were describing when you found it, like, just, like, I want to do this, um... Dude, they listen so well. They usually, by the end of it, are pushing and rolling and, like, they're finding balance, you know, without a handlebar. So it's like, 
to me, I'm like, yeah, why would you want your kid to do the easier thing? I know that, like, a lot of the parents are just, like, you know, dropping them off, and it's, like, daycare, and they're giving their kid money for sugar, and it's, like, that's not, to me, that's kind of, like, you're missing the point, like, you should come, like, a lot, that's why I do one-on-one lessons, because when I did group lessons, it was, like, 15 kids, and I can't even, like, really help anyone, there's too many kids, and they're, they're pulling too many directions, you know, but one-on-one, it's rad. And if you charge, if you charge like a fair amount, like I, I make my pricing a little higher because I want people to know, like I'm gonna really try for this hour to like share the experience of skateboarding and turn this person on to it in a good way. Let them figure out, yeah, let them figure out if they like it or not. But like introduce them to everything, and it, it's usually awesome because kids can focus and they surprise us, you know. But the scooter thing, I just feel like it's the easier thing. It's like yeah, hey, just put them on there. You don't have to interact. They got handlebars. They can push and roll and jump already. You know. Do your kids right. do your kids scooter or skate or surf or any of the above? Um, they they skate, but yeah, they don't. I wouldn't let them scooter. <laughs> I mean, they understand like it's like the the scooter thing. It's like I don't know. Like with skating, it's just a higher art form. Like it really is. Like it's just like it's like the difference between like rod and reel and like someone that's into fly fishing or something you know what I mean skating being the fly fishing version you know it's like there's the aesthetics of using your arms to balance while you're standing on this board and it's connection to surfing is what I feel like is sort of what fundamentally makes it a little bit more valuable you know what I mean yeah that it it it's just like the way you draw your lines and the way that you have to balance just it just separates it entirely from scooter. Like, I, I would venture to say that, like, even biking, too, is, is a s- way above scootering. Like, that, like, Razor scooter thing yep. started as, like, a gimmick. It's, like, a gimmick thing that started with, you know, sharper image or something. You know what I mean? Like, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's... Like, skateboarding started from, like, kids that wanted to pretend that they're surfing and, like, made them with roller skates... And then this, like, whole thing is almost like an act of God or something where, like, the drought in California started with the pools. You know, you couldn't put water in the pools um, because of the drought. And so kids saw that and they skated the pools. And, you know what I mean, with the, you know. Yeah, they it's like, like. It's progression is this beautiful thing where, like, scootering is, just, <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't want to sound like I'm full of hate towards scooters. I mean, they're just kids and they can do what they want. But it's just like, it sucks for skaters because it's like, usually the reason that there's a skate park there is because of the skate community and because of skateboarders. And like when the kids just swarm at like killer bees and just get, you know what I mean? They just, yeah. it's just obnoxious. Yeah, yeah, and it seems, and it's funny, I like having this conversation because, you know, I met a little scooter kid the other day, and he was like, or not the other day, it was a couple weeks ago, but he tried, he had this attitude that was like he was clever, and just because he was clever, he thought he could say whatever he wanted, but I'm not the dude to do that, you know, like, I'm gonna, I'm like, wait, what do you mean, what are you saying, like, he was trying to say that, like, scooting was harder than skating, and I was just like, no, like, let's talk about it, but he thought, like, he, he was like, just trying to make me mad like that was the mentality though i was like yeah you're taking the easier route you're just trying to argue and you're not really wanting to talk about it like the same with the scooter and and the thing about scooters too is that for sure it's just some dude who doesn't has never stepped on a scooter is is like paying some factory somewhere to make these and that's why they break another thing is they break all the time kids are coming in they don't know how to fix them and there's too many parts and it's like 
I, that's my other selling angle is I'm like, dude, you're paying $300 for something that's breaking in like two days and the parts are stripping and like you need all this accessory. I'm like, a skateboard's half the price and it'll last you until you, you work through it basically, you know, for the most part. Yeah, but it needs to be talked about. It needs to be talked about because I think, I think people are just sheltering their kids, you know? They're just putting them on scooters, and I'm like, I get that, but, like, the park is not the best thing to do. You don't throw a kid out there on a scooter by himself and just, like, he's going to run into a biker or a skateboarder. Like, you got to actually be, hang out with the dudes, you know, or, like, teach them yeah. or show them or get them a lesson or something, you know? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a fast-track, like, easy-fix thing. Yeah. That's so crazy. Like, I mean... When I first started skating, there was no skate parks. They just didn't exist, you know? Like, the, yeah. like you could, like, the first handrails we skated were real handrails, you know? It's like, you had to, like, make sure you knew how to ollie onto something before you, like, jumped on a rail. Or before. And the last thing you would do is show up at a skate park and ride around in there and didn't know what you were doing. Yeah. But, like, scooter, a scooter kind of allows you to get in, in the mix when you really don't have any business getting in there in the first place. And I think that's it. It's like if I go to a scooter and there's, like, a good scooter kid there, I'm not, like, sitting there, like, hating him or anything like that. It's, like, it's when, there, it's when like, there's these little kids that are, like, you know, that have obnoxious age of like seven to like 12 and they don't they have no etiquette or no you know they they haven't been refined yet by any any of the you know like what skateboarding would refine you as yeah and they don't have any of it and they're just in the they're just in the mix just crashing into people and hurting like i've been hurt like i've been laid up because it's oh damn (laughs) you know what i mean like i tweak my foot like running out of a slam with a scooter kid it's just not even you know what i mean and they're just out there and they don't they don't even have their balance because they're holding on to the handlebar and they probably got like a kool-aid mustache and they're just yelling like lit 100 fam and you're like what the hell are you doing like are you just watching every commercial tv programming and then just emulating it on a scooter (laughs) in style in style alone and i full-heartedly agree with you josh about the surfing skating connection and just the fact that the thing about skateboarding that makes it so true is that you're not connected to it you're not holding on you're learning to balance even with a bike with a bike you're learning to balance but you're holding on with your extremities with skateboarding you can move your feet and hands completely free and you're manipulating this piece of wood and wheels while finding balance too right it's like that's the truth to me it's like your shoulders and arms are kind of what guide the way whereas like with scooting it's like you just like this like like this little (laughs) it's not even like a bike it's like this weird like like, at least, like, bikers are gnarly. Like, they can, I mean, scooters are gnarly, too, but... Yeah, but biking, to me, I feel like the risk-reward, you know? Like, they go, like, there's so much metal, and they have to fully commit to it, you know? Where, like, a scooter, you can totally bail it out. I, they throw those metal things around the skate park all the time and almost kill people with them, you know? Whereas a, a bike, it's like, they're like, it's slam or make every try if you're doing some shit, you know? Right. Yeah. Alright, enough about them, because this always, it infects the podcast, but it's important to have this conversation, because, like, it is, I really believe it's a cultural thing of people just wanting their kids to be safe and do the easier thing, and I'm like, that's the worst thing, you should have these kids, like, at least, I'm not saying put them in dangerous situations, but allow them to experiment with finding balance and see if they can hold their balance without having to hold on, and, like, let them have the ability, you're robbing them of something great, it's fucking kills me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you, man. Okay, so... You're, let's go back to the beginning. You're, you're skating. You got a board. 
what was your first sponsor? Or who's your first sponsor? Um, well, believe it or not, like, my first kind of sponsor was in California, and it was Active Ride Shop. Nice. But it was Active Sweat and Sports at the time. It was like this, it was before, like, Active's this huge thing now. But at the time, it was like a, a shoe store and, like, like a like an exercise store, and then like one of the sons was into skating. I was like, we should sell skateboards in here, and so they did. And so those guys were kind of my first. Like I think they said there was this guy Freddie who worked at Active, and he gave me like a discount and some shirts and stuff like that. And then when we moved to Cal- or when we moved to Illinois, um, I started hanging out at the shop called RQ Board Shop. And, uh, those guys, those guys ended up doing some videos and it was just like this awesome time for kids in that area. Um, and those guys were everything. I mean, they like, they hooked me up with reps that came through and you know what I mean? Like I, I got boards for free because of them. Um, I rode for a company out of there called Black and White Inc. That was like a, a small local, uh, skate company and so I started getting boards from them and then I started getting uh I I started buying toy machine boards and foundation boards and you know made a video with the intent of getting on toy machine and then I sent in the video like right at the time when it was just Ed and Austin and then started getting you know because Maldonado and Getz and all those guys Oh, so the whole team, that was when the team shifted and you, but you were buying the boards with the intent of like filming a whole footage on it and sending it to them and stoking them out. Mm-hmm. That's clever. Good move. <laughs> yeah. It kind of worked out because it was just like right at the right time, you know, it was just like the perfect time for that to happen. Do you remember how long your sponsor me tape was? Um, you can watch it. It's on Thrasher. Oh, nice. But they posted on YouTube and stuff. It's my... Uh, yeah, it's, it's on there. It's probably, it's not long. I mean, I edited a lot of it. I was like 17 or 18. I was like probably 17 in the footage or whatever. And I just, I don't know. I just made it, uh, I just love skating, like big rails and stuff at the time and just want to, you know, like just felt very, I don't know, like I, you know, what, what I, was my scene? I wanted to get on the toy machine. <laughs> what do you think? Like, what was your idea of sponsorship then? Like, did you have any idea of like how it would happen before it actually happened? I don't know. I think at first my idea. I mean, I mean, you grow up watching all these four hundred one videos, and people are going to South Africa and they're going to. You know what I mean? It's just like that's a that's a good gig. I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird because like when I was a little kid, I didn't know, I didn't, I thought about sponsorship, but I wasn't really sure what could come of it, you know? Like I wasn't even sure because we were on the East Coast, you know? I just saw the people, Matt, like you were saying, I saw all that and I was like, whoa, that's amazing. But I didn't even understand about like, did you get on flow or was it just like you're an am? Well, so Ed, <laughs> and I wonder if I could find it. I have like an archive of all kinds of stuff, but I have like a, like Ed wrote, okay, so I sent him the video, and then my mom 
answered the phone. He called when I was at school. Nice. Mom answered the phone, and at the time she was kind of going through some through some stuff, and so I didn't know like if what she was telling me was true or not. And like it was, it was Ed, and I called him back, and I still couldn't believe if it was him, but I could recognize his voice, so I knew it was him, and like it had to be him. And we just talked for a while on the phone, and, and he was like, I'm going to send you a box. And so he sent me a box, and then printed, he printed a, a, on a piece of computer paper, and then like all these names, and then wrote in the phone numbers. It was like Atiba, Mike Burnett, like all these people wow. to call. And then at the top of it, he wrote, get gnarly. And I still have it. And wow. It called like all those people i called people from and i looked their names up i like tried to figure out who they were like in the magazines and stuff and you know the first the, the video i sent was on a vhs tape it was like you know what i mean and back then there was no like calling people from a self like cell phones even weren't even like prominent you know <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy to say it out loud because dude like that's insane <laughs> Steez, maybe? I know there was a Steez magazine no. out here. No. Stance was a ma- Yeah. <laughs>
just couldn't sleep. I was so excited. <laughs> and, then, and then we, I, when I graduated early to go on summer tour, the first, my first Toy Machine summer tour, um, yeah, it was just, it was just like a dream, a dream come true, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm tripping because did you, had you spent, had you sent out any other, was that your first try? Like, you, that was your first Bonds Me tape? You're like, bam, and it worked out like that? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I would have kept going for Toy Machine anyway. But, I mean, I had some guidance from, um, uh, Jub from Black Label and... Patrick Melcher, who was from Black Label, too, like... Legends. They, like, watched my footage with me, and, like, I sent them, like, what do you think about this? Like, what would you do differently? And they're like, take that out. Like, less is more. Like, do this. And they gave me, like, really good pointers. And they were like, I think this is good enough. And I remember, like, thinking, like, when I sent it in, like, is this... Like, I understood that if I sent in something that was comparable to what was happening with a normal pro at the time, then they would probably respond in some way. And they did, you know? And I think, like, I know Toy Machine's always been a huge, not just influence, but kind of like a natural flow for me. Like, I, being a kid, I had some, I had a friend whose older brothers were always into, like, music like Sonic Youth and stuff like that. So, like, when Welcome to Hell came out, um, it was, like, a natural ebb and flow for me to, like, be right in that, that mind for him. And it's actually funny. I actually met Ed at Chafee College, which is, like, that spot with all the ledges. And I'm in a 411 in the background skating, with a flip shirt on. This is like in like probably not, this is like 94, 95. It's like, cause Welcome to Hell came out in 96. And I'm skating in this spot with my buddy Doug and, and, uh, Ed shows up and he's just this tall, like lanky, weird dude. And I didn't know who he was. You know, this is like after Toy Machine Live. And I mean, people knew who Ed was, but it was like, Welcome to Hell hadn't come out yet. So it was like this huge thing was happening. You know? Yeah. And I ran into him and he was like, What's up, man? Like, I'm Ed. What's your name? I was like, Josh. And he was like, Mind if I skate this ledge with you? And I was like, Of course not. <laughs> and he front blunted the long ledge at Chafee High School. Wow. And I was like, at the time, I was like, Holy shit. Like, that's the craziest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. You know? And, and my buddy Doug knew who he was from the magazines and stuff. I was like, That's Ed Templeton. And, and then I remember when Welcome to Hell came out, there were, like, ads for it, like, musket grinding that King Grail and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and and when that came out, it was just, like, I was just, like, this is the coolest video of all time, you know? I was, like, so into it. I must have watched it, like, thousands of times, you, you know? Yeah. You just described, like, a dream. Because earlier when you were, like, yeah, I've had, I was having moments where I, like, was so excited I couldn't sleep and I've de I can relate to those where you're like literally tossing and turning because your dreams are keeping you up um, right. but you just described one of mine for sure like meeting Ed Templeton and skating with him like that and then getting sponsored that's like a legitimate it's sick that it's your shoes and you were able to do that it's so crazy yeah it, it was wild I actually used to like it's kind of weird to admit but like I used to have dreams that like I would I used to have dreams that I would hang out with Jamie Thomas or like dreams that I had a dream once for some reason. I had a dream that 
Ed was grinding this rail like really long and I was just top having a conversation as a kid. This is such a weird thing. And, you know, like little did I know that like it would become a reality, you know, I'd be hanging out with these dudes and I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah, that's insane. That's insane. Okay, so I know where to go from here. Did so you're riding for Toy Machine. How did other sponsors come in? Did Ed and just the coverage help the momentum going? Because I imagine you're not like at this time you weren't making like a full time job from Toy Machine, you know? Right. <clears throat> well, I think when I got on as an amp, I want to say they paid me like five hundred bucks or something. Which like when you're living with your parents in the early two thousands, like that's like. You're on the gravy train, basically. And then you're selling boards, and you've got, you know, you've got product. and You can barter with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that was only, a, that was kind of a small period of time. Shortly after that, uh, Etnies approached me, and they paid me as well, and started taking me to Europe, and we we did some stuff. Dave Wang was kind of like the team manager and, and like, leader of that whole operation. That's where we met up, because that was that's Dave Wang's yeah, trip. Yeah. And that came through just, yeah, it was just, like, honestly being in the press, like, being in the mags and, you know, that those other sponsors, Ruka, same thing. Um, I mean, Ed rode Ruka and rides for them again now, but, um, yeah, just being, I mean, once you're, I mean, once you're on Toy Machine, you kind of, like, have an open door and way to a lot of things, and I think at the time, I don't know. I had a good push at the beginning where I was getting a lot of coverage, like, just because I was going... I mean, I knew spots, especially in the Inland Empire in Southern California, that people didn't know. So I would just go and and just film tricks and, like, get, get stuff at spots, and then people would go to the... I mean, I, like, knew... I would drive around, dude. I used to have those Rand McNally... What were they called? Because you didn't have... There was no GPS or anything. Oh, like the maps, yeah. Yeah, the map. I can't remember what it's called, but it was like a book. Yeah. There were ones for LA, there was ones for the Inland Empire and San Bernardino and San Diego. And I would look at these and like, I would go into the foothills and I could see the mountains and be like, okay, there's probably at this church some rails. There's probably at this, you know what I mean? And I would go there and I would just spend so much money just driving around and I would take Polaroids. And I'd write the coordinates and, like, the page number on it so I could, like, go back and get a trip there. I'd be like, boom. Like, and I would, like, I'd map out my whole shit. I'd be like, I'm going, I'm, you know, I'm going out here at this spot because you could skate it on this day with Mike Burnett. I'm going to this spot with this dude. And, like, I would just, you know what I mean? So I was just like, oh, I'm, I haven't had anything in Transworld in a while, so I'm going to go with this guy or whatever. You know what I mean? It was just like. Perfect. It sounds like a fucking blessing. That sounds like the perfect situation. Oh, it was. And it was like there was so there was like, uh, it was just untapped. That, that takes a lot of work, you know? I was like super motivated, you know? And like, God. Well, that's what I wanted to ask you about because there's a lot of people that want to be pro skateboarders, but they're like get caught up in like the partying and like the lifestyle of it and like, and it never happens because they didn't actually put they like because that's work what you're describing you like you gotta uh, invest your own gas money you gotta have that motivation and being sore and like some of the uh, shit you've uh, done on a skateboard too is like pushing the limits you know so like where does that drive come from was that in your parents or where does that come from because I, I, I do I bottle it in the <laughs> cellar, <man. laughs> 
Because I know a lot of dudes, like, I know a lot of people that, like, say they want to do it, but then when it comes down to it, they didn't put that work in, like, that needed to be done, you know? Right. I don't know. I think I've always, like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think that, like, people are just, some people are just born with motivation and some people aren't. I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. It's like, why do we, you know, it's like trying to ask, not that it's a dumb question, but it's like. It's like trying to ask, like, why does a person like music? Or why does a person like skating? You know what I mean? It's just, like, part of you, you know what I mean? That, like, you're like, I'm going to do this. Like, that, I don't know. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I don't know. Did you, Honestly, have you ever had, like, a really shitty job? Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I worked at, I worked at, um, the mall in the back of a clothing store like stalking oh man <laughs> that's sad but then i worked at a skate shop which is which was amazing i don't know i think i just i think i just had you know what it might have been i mean i i don't think it can be quantified but i think that when we moved from southern california to the chicagoland area we, my dad, we were driving up and it was like cornfields everywhere. And he was like, we're almost to our house. And I remember my heart just breaking a little bit. You know what I mean? As a kid, like, I'm not going to be able to go skating. Like, what, like, what does this mean for me? But little did I know, like, there was a whole train system right by our house. And that's how I was able to, like, go out and skate and, like, whip before I could drive and stuff, which was amazing. It ended up being, like, a huge blessing because... I think it gave me a gratefulness and appreciation. Like, working at the skate shop and the guys at RQ, like, I owe everything to those guys. Like, they taught me everything from, like... Like, I remember when I first went in there and was hanging out there, like, they would just teach me these little lessons that were so invaluable. Like, like I remember, like, there were there were shoes on the wall, and I remember going in there and being like, oh, these are so ugly, like, or whatever. And, like, one of the guys took me inside, and he was like, please don't ever say that any of the stuff we're selling in here is ugly. And and I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, we've invested so much money in, into ordering these shoes, and whether they're ugly to you or not, like, someone in here might buy these, you know? And I just remember thinking as a kid, like, holy shit, like, I'm like, I'm fucking these guys up right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, and then those guys were just... They just loved my passion for skating, and I think that they fostered it in a way. Like, I honestly feel bad for kids nowadays. Like, when I was a, when I was like, imagine going into a shop and you know, welcome to hell or like jump off a building or or any of the Eastern Exposure videos are playing. There's like a couple couches to hang out on and like. You know, and it's a nice environment, and there's, like, everything is skate-centric, and, you know what I mean? Like, that doesn't exist for a lot of kids nowadays, but for me, it was, like, these guys were, like, these guys were my dads. Like, they were, like, they were, like, fostering a, you know, etiquette and understanding and, and like, a respect and appreciation for skating and, like, the, the, the lifestyle that it is that I don't know if kids really get that now. I think they, they get fragments of it and stuff, but yeah. that was invaluable to me. And so I think by the time I moved to California and, and had the opportunity with Toy Machine, like, 
I'm coming fresh from this perspective of like winter and like knowing like how hard it is and like knowing how you know what I mean that like I wasn't gonna waste it you know what I mean I, there was no way in hell I was gonna let that opportunity or window close on me without me giving it 100% you know and that's why I was out there with those maps and a highlighter and like a Polaroid camera and like get it you know what I mean <laughs> just being almost like obsessive like a crazy person or something like, yeah you know? that's awesome and I agree man like People need examples. Like, when you're young, you're new to the world, you know? And you need examples of people that turn into teenagers, that turn into adults, and they keep their word, and they keep... Because everyone thinks it's, like, the lottery, or, like, they're going to win, and their life's just going to be magical. And it's, like, it's a progression. It's, like, life is long, and we have to, like, continue to grow and develop. And it's, like... That's sad to think that, though, because those skate shops mean the world to me, too. And I've been seeing a lot on Instagram of shops just, like bowing out or closing the doors because i'm not really sure what the case is with it some of it's probably just mismanagement and some like one was they didn't own their building so then the landlord and shit like that but like with the yeah exactly (laughs) tough but it's like those spots are super crucial to young people you know like those kids like you go in and you make friends and you see examples of people that are older, that are still dreaming, that are still optimistic and trying to do rad shit. And they affect you. Like, it rubs off for sure. Like, that's awesome that you were able to have that experience. And that's that that for sure, you don't want to let those dudes down, you know? Like, that heritage and legacy of, like, hard work and building shit together is, like, definitely something worth keeping up with, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah that, that's crazy. I... I've always worked hard just because, like, I've uh, my background. I don't know if we've really talked about it before, but like, my background is like I'm from a broken family and like uh, lost my father and my mom's was always lost. So like, I always had like a lot of hustle and ambition just because of necessity. I was always like scared of the bottom falling out and like, but but it made me kind of kooky. I think to like people that grow up that don't feel like they have to like. I always felt like I had to work really hard because I was just, I had like trauma, you know, from the way I grew up and I just didn't want to, I didn't want to go back to where I've been and like, but I came, I felt like my work ethic made me a little kooky to people, you know, do you ever have that? Did anyone ever accuse you of being too ambitious? For sure. I think as a kid, I was just filled with too much much candy and just hype. I was just too excited. Like, I think like, yeah, Mike Burnett called, he coined the term world's loudest am for me, because I was, I was just loud and excited, and, but at the same time, I think that people, some people found it endearing and, and liked it, you know, when you're like, it's like a puppy dog, you're just like, ah, it's really hyped and like trying to, I don't know, just live it up to the most, and I get it, Yeah. I get it. Yeah, because it... Yeah. If you're not cynical and jaded, it's like people can tear it down if they are, you know? Like, I've, been, I've come across that. Like, people that are pissed off and angry or whatever, they have resentment, and then you come out and you're just trying to be like, make the most of it, like you're saying. It's, it's like, right. fuck. You, then, and yeah. It's annoying to someone that's been around it forever and they're jaded. I get it. But that's like, I just feel bad for people like that because, you know, they're just bummed. They're just miserable. They're just having a, you know. They're having problems where, like, the person that's having the most fun is always winning, no yeah. matter what. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not the jaded guy that has, not even the jaded guy with respect. You know what I mean? Like that guy doesn't. That guy doesn't win because he's just miserable. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for one hundred. They rather be like the, the like goofy, happy person 
than like some bitter dick. Yeah, you don't if you that's the scary thing about getting older too is like you almost you have to define yourself. You you have to like take these moments and reflect and look at yourself and go, This is what I am right now and that's so scary to people to do, you know, is like to divine no one wants to be like be stuck in a box like this is what I am. But the beauty, right. the beautiful part is, like, if you do that, if you look at yourself and go, I am a bit of an asshole, or I am, like, too much of this, or then you can grow past it, you know? It's like, most people right. most people are too scared to look in a, or some people are too scared to look in a mirror and admit, you know, their faults at times, you know? But that's part of the right. growing pro- the growing process. It's painful. It's growing pains, you know? Totally. <laughs> um, I wanted to kind of drift off into music because I know you found music and I, I don't I've never heard I heard a little bit this morning but I'm going to go listen to everything you have after this but ha- how did music come into it? Um, well I started playing music when I was a kid like around the same time I skated but my passion for skating was just uh, it was paramount so um, but I always like I always played guitar and stuff when I would get hurt um but I really got serious about music in about 2009, I think it was, or 2010, somewhere in there. I was skating at UC Davis, and <clears throat> the bigger, that, that kind of bigger rail that's there, I think maybe it's like, it's kind of like an 11 or something, like Jamie Thomas, Blunt Slitter it and stuff. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So I skated there and I did like front blunt, front feeble, and got photos with Sue Trin. It was like, I don't know, it was just a good day and like just felt, you know what I mean, on top, on top of my game. And, uh, these photo students come up and they're like, let me, let me get a photo of you skating the rail one time we were watching and now your photographer's packed up. Can we just get something? Cause, you know, I want to get an action shot for my photo class or whatever. And I was like, sure. So I go up and I, I, you know, I think I was trying to smith or a tail slide. I want to say it was like a tail slide. And I just clipped on the way up. Like, I didn't ollie high enough. <clears throat> the runway's kind of weird because you got to kind of come around like a curve and go around this pole. And then you can focus on the rail. Street skating, right? <laughs> madness, madness. <laughs> and I just, for some reason, that trick did not work after my write-up, and I clipped and found myself falling backwards. Uh, and I fell backwards, um, I fell backwards onto my hip, onto my right butt cheek, and just, like, blew out the cartilage in my hip. Ooh. And I didn't know it at the time, I didn't know what I did, um, but it was painful, and I couldn't walk for a long time. And then, like, I grew these growth spurs on my hip. Like, so when you're, when you like with your hands or anything that be- can become arthritic like with like a femoral head that goes into my pelvis there's cartilage all around your femoral head and like I blew that out completely so from the bone grinding on bone when I was when I was walking essentially was that it from the initial impact it just like pfft. yeah it just blew it out wow and then uh so I went to a doctor and the doctor said well you have the hip of like a 90 year old man and <laughs> fuck you right <laughs> fuck you right like god damn <laughs> and then you get this he says you need a hip replacement which is where we cut off the top of your your femur which is like your thigh you know where your thigh is your bone in there 
and then they drill a hole down into the bone, and then they put like a fake top of your leg down, <laughs> like they glue it in there. And the surgery is for older people, and they usually die before it wears out. And he was like, "You need this, and it's gonna wear out on you in five to ten years, and then you're gonna be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life." Where does that Where does that take you mentally? Because I'm presuming you're like height of the height, shooting with uh, Sutrin and covers and magazines and stuff, and then to that. Yeah, it was <laughs> terrible. And at the time, my second son was to be born as well, so I just felt like all these burdens and like it was just intense. And <clears throat> not that a kid is a burden. I mean, but the weight of the the burden of responsibility, I should say. Yeah. And, it was horrible. It was terrible. I mean, I I was so depressed and so angry and, like, so angry at myself, just angry at the circumstances, like, everything. And, yeah, just music was there for me because I couldn't skate. You know, it's like the, that outlet. Like, skating is an outlet. I feel like there's this sort of primal thing in skating where it's almost like correlated with like hunting or something where you have like this like feeling of like I've got to go out and get it like when you stay cooped up in the house too long you don't do anything you start to go stir crazy or cabin fever or whatever where it's like with skating like you're challenging yourself physically you're challenging yourself mentally and your core you know you have to connect that coordination with with this idea of like getting a trick and there's like a sense of satisfaction that comes from that that's like a drug for us and yeah. I feel like all of us are a little bit crazy because we need that and some people don't right like some people don't need that but with music I was able to I was able to sort of challenge myself and learn to write and stuff and I you know I made I made music for people to skate to and started giving it, you know what I mean? And just made these instrumental songs and stuff. And, you know, that's really what got me started was an injury in music, honestly. An injury, kind of, this chaos kind of created a, a, you know, a void where I couldn't skate and music kind of helped me fill that. And then I, I discovered the passion for it through that. And <clears throat> thankfully, I was able... So I went... To continue to finish the story, so people aren't like, well, "What the hell happened?" <laughs> the the with the hip thing, I went and saw another doctor, and he said the same thing. And then I saw a third doctor that said, "Well, we need to we need to go in and shave away the growth spurs, and then maybe it'll free up your joint, and you'll be able to you'll be able to skate." And at this point, I mean, I was still I was pretending. I went on toy machine trips. I would go on fallen trips. I went to China and skated rails with this hip problem. Jesus. I couldn't, I couldn't tie my shoe, dude. <laughs> You're gnarly. You're gnarly. Okay, so, have you ever seen that footage? I think it was recently on Hall of Meat, where I, like, loop out and, like, fall on my head. Yeah, yeah, I did see that. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That happened because I couldn't tie my shoe. Oh my god, dude. Because I couldn't reach down, I was going for a backside air, and like when I scooped up, like my hip, my hip got locked up, 
and I got fucked up, and it, like, set me out, like, flipping around onto my head. Yeah. And I was, you know, I could skate stuff and, like, get on the lower rails or, like, skate banks and stuff like that. So I was able to kind of collect some footage that was still worth it, because sometimes in skating, you don't have to bring your knee all the way up. You know what I mean? I do, yeah. <laughs> so I was, like, keeping this whole thing a secret from everyone, like, going on tours in pain, like taking Advil and Vicodin and drinking to, like, just, like, not feel the pain. Yeah. I would have, and I never had a problem with, like, Vicodin. I'm a, I'm pretty moderate with substance, so I don't have, like, that problem. But I used it. Like, I definitely used it, like, to, like, get through, like, painful times. I would get a trick. Sometimes, like, skating something with a little bit of a drop, like, I'd be in so much pain. Yeah, because your joints, your joints are just... Yeah, getting pissed and agitated. And then I finally had that surgery, and then the guy, the, that surgery made it worse. Like, it made it, I was in pain 24-7, which was, it was, <coughs> it was so awful that I would go and hang out with people, and they didn't know, you know, I'd go hang out with Ed, or I'd go hang out with people, and I'd be in so much pain that I'd be thinking about, like, how do I... How, how would the normal me talk to this person? You know what I mean? Yeah. Not in, like, to be a phony or anything, but just to protect, like, what I cultivated in my career, to protect... And then also, like, you're so tired of the pain that you don't want to think about it, you don't want to talk about it, or, like, you know what I mean? That you, like, just cover it and cover it. And then, after, like... The whole episode from when it happened to when I got the surgery that helped me was probably like, it was about a year and a half. Gnarly. And I went, you know, I, I mean, I put out, I put out little video parts, I skinned Real Street, I put out, you know, all that stuff was like, with that hip problem. And then I, I, uh, I had a surgery called a hip resurfacing surgery, which is like relatively new. And at the time when I got it, there was only a few people in the world that could do it. And there was a guy in LA, Dr. Schmalzried, and he's still there. S-C-H, uh, S-C-H, M-A-L-Z-R-I-E-D, I think. Schmalzried. If anybody is listening to this that has a hip problem, maybe you can tag, like, hip something. Yeah. I found it by luck, like, on this message board. <clears throat> and went there, and he was like, oh, I, he took an x-ray, and he was like, I'll have you skating again. What? <laughs> no way. Like, there's no way. And so I got the surgery, and, like, I woke up from it. I had a catheter in. Like, it was a gnarly surgery. And then I, I woke up, and I knew. Like, I felt, like, right away that it was going to be better. And it was. And I, I got, like, I got a cover. This was, like, right after that. Wow. This cover at that ditch, I don't know if I'm holding it right where you can see it. Yeah, I can. Is it a nose grind? Front side nose grind? Yeah, front side nose grind at that ditch. Did did someone put that it rail was, in it? It was skate and create. Oh, sick. Yeah, that's so gnarly. That must have felt awesome to ride away from. Right. Because <laughs> that, like, that was like right after that whole thing had happened. So, like, to have that, to have that just felt yeah it was just unreal it's kind of like because i used to lay in bed and just 
just like be so angry and just pissed and just frustrated at life, you know? Yeah. Music helped, but you're still it's just out of control, like just to go from covers to like being bedridden and like seriously uh respected doctors told telling you that you're gonna be in a wheelchair. Yeah. yeah, that's a lot of stress and shit, and that's where trauma comes from, for sure. Um, and a lot of the injury, too, is, like, psychosomatic, you know? Like, so to come back and get a cover and validation again is, like, must have felt great. Because I've been through knee injuries. I, I tore my ACL, bone-on-bone bone ACL shit. And, uh, and uh, you know, a lot of it's just doubt in your mind, you know? And you got to rehab it and build it strong again. And then you think about it all the time. And you're like, I don't want to land this way, that way. It's just that little weight on your back. Like, you you kind of were describing earlier with an injury. It's like a lie, almost. Because you can't... You know it's there. And you know there's a problem. But you just keep ignoring it, you know? And, like... And then it just adds up eventually. And the blowout happens. And But, I mean, we can learn from them, you know? It can only make us... At least we can learn that we're strong and we're able to adapt and get back to where we could be, you know? Right. Yeah. And eating well and everything has a huge part of it. But there are some things that just happen like that. Like, I mean, I... I, I still skated and got tricks, but it, it severely limited me. You know what I mean? Way more than I was before. Yeah. You know, I, I'd go on trips and, you know, it would get... It would hurt, you know? But just sheer will and motivation kept me going, you know, and, and everything. But it's just definitely, as you get older and you face injuries, it start your life starts to become like the Rockies <laughs> or something. <you> know? <laughs> or Cinderella Man, you're like out there with a fucking broken wrist and you're still getting in the fight. <laughs> you're still getting in there because baby needs diapers or something. <laughs> it's just the longevity of time like to be to keep going and they turn into stories you know and chapters of life and you either win or lose from them i guess you know it depends on how you uh right. handle each situation you know adversity's good man it goes back to letting go of the bars and just finding balance because <laughs> you can run from life life itself is a problem no one gets out alive like no one does you know what i mean like no there's never <laughs> so I don't know it's like I think the younger we start like letting these people like let go of the bars find balance and like test their limits it's like you know good I don't know I'm so I can be jaded and cynical sometimes about um stuff just cause like uh I'm just like you look around America especially cause this is where we're at and you're like god damn dude there's so many pitfalls like people are just doing are allowed to sell horrendous shit to people and get, misguide them and fuck them over to make a profit, you know? I see that all the time, and I think about it, I'm like, it's so shitty. It's like making money off of the destructions of human, you know? Or just making money off their folly. Like, the fact that you know that they're going to make a mistake and you can capitalize on it is, like, so gnarly. Because a lot of people... We're supposed to be the most prosperous country and nation, right? Like, in a... A lot of people just have mental health issues. Like, they literally, they could get a job, you know, but their brain, they're just fucked up because they're thinking about it all ass backwards. Like, I don't know. I think when there's, like, uh, when you're the best country and it's all about stabbing each other and getting over on someone to get profit, you let, it goes so extreme, you know? Like, I can get super cynical and stuff like that. Um, do you ever think about that shit? Like, politics and, um, I know that you're, you found faith too. You're religious, I believe. I uh, well... It's tough. You're kind of finding me, and I'll just be completely, <coughs> completely vulnerable and honest with you. Like, 
I struggle with all that stuff. Like, <coughs> I don't, I mean, I don't have, like, things in my life that I'm running from or anything like that, but I definitely, like, I turned to faith in Christ pretty seriously, like, a few years back, and I think it helped me a lot getting through that hip problem and stuff. But currently, I don't know, there's just some, there's things that I don't understand. I don't know. I've kind of like, I don't know. I've, it's tough. There's things that you think you know, and then the, the more that you're with it, the more like certain things don't really make sense, and you kind of do the math on it. For instance, like, like with politics or whatever, like people are usually, they usually ascribe to like a view that they're kind of born with or whatever. But then as you go on, you kind of, you kind of find your own way and what you think works for you. But even then, there's still so much you just don't know. For instance, like, like if you, if you read about World War II, which, like, this could be a little bit offensive to some people that are, like, really good. I, I think America did a great job, England, Canada, I, all the allies did a great job in World War II. But this is going to sound super cynical, but <laughs> it's my personal belief that that war was created by an oligarchy of, of businessmen and, and rich families. Um, case in point... Or one of the examples would be Ford Motor Company. The German tanks in World War II, the German tanks in World War II had Ford engines in them. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, so that means that that Henry Ford and Ford Motor Company was making money from <laughs> Nazis out of World War II. And so when you think about it, if you're if you're a steel manufacturer, a rubber manufacturer, or an oil manufacturer, or, or whatever it is, like you're you're a big manufacturer, you're gonna make a lot of money off of war because there's a lot to be gained by by soldiers that need boots with rubber on them and soldiers that needed guns with steel in them and so you know what I mean? Like it's so like Henry Ford, his he had a, uh, a, a manufacturing plant in Germany that got bombed by the U.S. government. He sued the U.S. government for bombing it and won. Gnarly. And so it just to me, there's there's just so much we don't know behind the scenes that it's so hard not to be skeptical and. In the past, I've been, like, I've jumped head over heels into things, but the older I get, like, the more I realize that, like, there's so much motivation, like, people have so many different motives to get you to believe in what they want you to believe in, that it's just hard, you know? Like, everybody's got an agenda, like, when really at the end of the day, I think what's going on, especially in politics, is that it's just, and this is, I'm not a nihilist, but, like, it's, like, there, there's just so much you can't know. And people are, you know, like here we're just like, you know, middle class or lower class schleps. <laughs> no shit about what's going on. 
we don't know any of these key figures and people who are, you know, the lobby, who, what lobbyists are out there, or what, you know, companies are, you know, it's like, it, the whole thing is just, it's, it's just insane. Like, you can't, you just can't know at all. You can't, we're just these, we're skaters, you know what I mean? And I, it, it makes me sad to see us all, like, people get all hung up on politics and stuff like that. And well, it makes me... It's just so frivolous, like, it's so, it's so fucking, it's like a fucking trap, it's a trap, you know, because you can't know, and you're defending something you can't know. Yeah. And then anytime you're defending something you can't know, like, you're in a weird spot. And I would say the same thing about, like, religion and stuff, like, you can have experiences, like, with, you know... Like, I've had experiences that I would say are, like, spiritual experiences um, without drugs and sometimes with drugs, like, with mushrooms and stuff. I've had, like, some crazy, you know what I mean? You have, like, crazy experiences. But at the end of the day, you don't really know. You know what I mean? The same way that you don't really even know, like, what the next thought that's going to come to your head is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, there's so, the universe is so vast and the, the, you know, everything is so, it's weird because I feel like, am I rambling? No, 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 I, no, no, I agree with you. I agree with you full heartedly because I don't know, politics is for the rich, you know, like that's why they have the resources to fight over. The problem is like, is your politics going to destroy lives, you know? Like, there's always a compromise. The compromise is funny. When when Henry Ford compromised because it was good for business, not humans. Right. It's funny because we can't have business without humans, you dumb shits. It makes me right. so mad. It's like, you should... Right. I'm always saying humans should be the currency in the sense, like, the things that humans possess. Like, their fucking determination, their work ethic, their their faith, their empathy. Like, these are real. Where the stock market market should lie, you know? Like... It's ridiculous. And it makes me so mad too, Josh, because I, um, you know, I, I live, I live, I grew up in Brockton and New Bedford and Fall River on the East Coast and there's a lot of broken families and it's like we deal with winter and there's a lot of substance abuse and shit like that and that's where I've lived like most of my life. And I get pissed because around these neighborhoods I find pennies on the ground and I'm like, this is what they send people to kill over and we're just walking by it and saying we're poor. I'm like, that's just a perspective issue, I feel, you know, and I feel like America, America maybe, and maybe other countries too, like, the perspective issue is the problem, it's like, you guys don't even want to work for it anymore, or whatever, like, it's crazy, I think people are just like, are, we're able to sell a dream to people, and then not cash in on it, and let those bubbles burst, like, everybody can have a home, everybody can be rich, everyone, and then this, like, you just make money off of selling people dreams, the American dream, and it never came. And that's why I, I now am like, it should be the American experience, where if people have passion, dedication, focus, and w are willing to work and build things, they should be able to experience those dreams that were sold to them, you know? <laughs> it should breaks my heart, dude. I, I'm from an outside yeah, bubble. It is. is it hard to... So, like... It's funny because I love religion in a sense because I know a lot of positive, happy, awesome oh, people yeah. in the stories. Oh, absolutely. I'm not, don't get me wrong, like, I don't, like, if Jesus was to come back right now in this amazing, miraculous way and just, you know what I mean? It's yeah. the second coming of Christ. I would welcome that. I'm not, like, I'm not, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I just think, like, I think it's, it's just really, it's just really tough when like, 
I don't know. I, I really just think people should be able to believe whatever they want to believe as long as they don't hurt anybody. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I don't know. It's tough. Like, it could, dude, it, it could be true. And I've been really, I've been really devout and I really do. I have, I, in a lot of ways, I still do believe, but I feel like at this time in my life, it's like, it's just really hard. Well, to me, that seems like an honest answer, though, to say you don't know, you know, like that's, that's always been, that's my my thing with religion is I felt like you had to like fully give it away. Like that's part of the, the, the thing, you know, and then you see it's just men and humans running this thing. But that's in lies like connecting the, the thing with, with religion and politics. I think that there's a problem that we have as humans with saying that we don't know something. I think that for some reason, like, people have to, we deal in black and whites and absolutes and are so adamant on our positions about things that we don't fully grasp or understand. Do you know what I mean? And that, that's really dumb. It's really (laughs) dumb to do that. And I'm guilty of it myself. And everybody is. Yeah, it's part of the ride. Fundamentally, it's, it's just crazy because... We're so like cattle or like sheep that like even if we differ in in political things like there are there are so many different colors to like the view that you might have like there are people that are there are people that love guns that are like really big time liberals and like are like you know what I mean are like behind the transgender dude you know what I mean or girl yeah you know what I mean or the transgender person. <laughs> but like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, and then vice versa. Like, there's people that like hate guns that are like super conservative or super, and it's like, we've got this, we've got this problem where like, we can't just deal with people one on one and we love to box everything in. And I think it's just part of our, we're just dumb. And I think it's just, it's a way for us to understand things we don't understand when they're too complex and we don't, we're just too lazy to, to deal with it. And yeah. I think like, like, with me, like, with religion, it's just, like, it's super hard because, for me personally, I'll break it down, like, for work. If you don't mind, I'd like to break down, like... Please do. Mind. Please do. Okay. So, like, what I'm able to understand, what I'm able to gather, is very limited to the resources that I have and, and who I am as a person. But when I look around, I see, like, a, I see a world with incredible complexities, right? Like, I mean, it's just incredible that we're having this conversation on technology that we've been able to develop as human, as being as the human race, which is incredible. So there's things about it that kind of point to a creator, you know, like there's the whole, the whole, like, watchmaker argument, or like, if we, if I was to take you to Mount Rushmore and say, Mount Rushmore happened, oh, is it glitching out on us? No, you're okay. It, the video was, but yep. It says poor connection on my end. Oh, that'll happen. Okay. That'll happen occasionally, but I can see you perfect.
Alright, perfect. Nice. Thank you. Are we back? Yeah, yeah. Um, I got like 20 minutes left, but I want to kind of pick up where we just left off. Just because we got a better connection now, okay? Yeah, sounds good. Alright. Yeah, I was just basically saying, like, yeah, yeah, it was breaking up, but you were the gist of what I took from it was that you know, as you get older, you're realizing that it's okay to not have to to like know, right? Right. Which is scary. Right. Which is scary for a lot of people. Right. And the <laughs> reason it's scary though is because there's been a fear instilled in them, and I think that I think when I think logically about it. Because it's like, okay, so this fear comes of, like, of, of judgment or hell or something, <clears throat> which is, it's really hard. And maybe some people should be afraid of a place called hell. Maybe a place like that does exist. I don't know. But I know as me, Josh Harmony, in the life that I've lived, if I'm to go to God and I go and I see that Jesus is the truth, then I'm like, great. Like, this is, you know what I mean? I can't, like, if... Like, I just think about my kid, like, he doesn't understand stuff. Like, when my kid doesn't, do I get mad at my kid who's, like, one and learning to walk if he falls down a couple steps and he's not, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, I'm not going to be mad. He just doesn't know. Like, he doesn't know. <laughs> like, you don't get mad at a kid for, like, ripping up your, your magazine you love or a book or something. He just doesn't know. And it's like, when, there's certain things that we do know as adults especially that we can do to fuck shit up that's not okay but for me to be punished or a person to be punished I mean for for not knowing something that they can't know is crazy yeah like, but yet that's what people teach and it's so sad like it's like it's do you know what I mean yeah it's, well because I, I, the way I see it I agree with you is like it's almost like they've put, like, a trademark on life, you know? Because, like, life is the truth. So you go through life, and if you act shitty, and you do, you get lost and confused, and bad things happen, and, like, the devil is sympathy, right? Sympathy for the devil, so it's always, like... So people can go down these paths and build hells, hell by design. Like, I've seen it happen. Like, even people I care about, you know, like... This shit's real. And some people can build heaven here on earth too, you know? Like, they can build this life that is so beautiful. But, like, what they... The problem is, is, like... It's scary to tell people that they're godly, you know? It's like, that's scary to people to, like... Like, when you have a little kid, it's like, that kid could grow up to be the most extreme on either end. Jesus or Hitler, you know what I mean? Like, right. it's all capable, apparently. And, uh... I don't know, I feel like, uh... Life's hard, you know? And people find religion. There's a compromise always with things, you know? It's like, they're like, I just want to... Like, there's no knowing, like you just said. There's no way to know. There's no way to know till you die, you know? no, You'll find out then, and that's a scary concept. But, I mean, that's one everyone has to deal with, you know? And no matter how religious you are, it's like we're in the same boat. You know, we're in the same fucking boat. Like, when shit goes down... And it's crazy, a lot of the shit that goes down is because of religions fighting over their beliefs. Wouldn't it be better to just be like... Maybe we don't know, and let's, like, re-examine. But the problem is, it's, like, it's just human culture accumulated, and there's so many stories and real, true lessons and things, and, like, I love, 
I love religion, but I just never could ever be like, here's my email. <laughs> you know, like, that one for me was, like, tough. But, I mean, I would never fault anyone. I wish my mom found religion. It would have helped her. It would have gave her structure. There's a lot of lost right. people that could use there those are, stories. There are things that are so good about it that I think are... That, that's why I, I mean, I have the utmost respect for people that are genuine in their faith. You know I mean? It's, I think it's it can be a beautiful thing. And like you said, that structure... Is sometimes really key for people, and if anybody's watching this, like, <clears throat> you know, like, you do you, you know, like, do you, if you, if reading the words of Christ are giving you hope, or like reading whatever religion you're reading and it's giving you hope, then I think that that can be good for you, you know? Like, yeah. not all things are true just because people say that they're true, though, you know? It's like, it's, at the end of the day, like, that's just be honest with ourselves and see what works for us and, you know, just try not to hurt anybody. Yeah. It seems that anything man touches, we can corrupt, (laughs) no matter how great it is, you know, like, (laughs) that's the folly. It's like accepting that human, new human souls are coming into this world and they're going to make all the mistakes again, you know, like, it's uh, scary. (laughs) But hopefully, like, over time, we'll accumulate enough of a reference to learn from, you know, like, I don't know. Mirrors are... We got internet around now, so people are forced to deal with their own influence and their own power, you know? Like... Yeah, there's repercussions and there's... Yeah, you can't hide anymore. Yeah. Crazy. It's it's really crazy. <laughs> yeah. Is this... Is the thing skipping for you again? It's just the kinda... Just a picture, but the audio is good. Am I coming in clear okay? Yeah, you, you're looking good, man. <laughs> I just like... You're, you're like... Yeah. You're like the guy on uh, baseballs. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, dude, we're gonna have to have you. You're gonna have to come back on, Josh, because you're so fun to talk to. Oh right, yeah, dude, I'd, I'd be stoked. Yeah. That'd be awesome. If I'm ever out your way, uh, I'll have to track you down, and maybe we could say hi in person again. That'd be sick as well. Yeah, absolutely, dude. And if you ever come to Boston, I'm in the Boston area, so if you ever come out here, we got a pretty sick skate park and like cool stuff going on. Yeah, dude, I love Boston, man. I love the harbor there. It's just beautiful. Hell yeah. Sick. Well, um, before we go, uh, if people want to check out any of your music or social media, where can they find you? Um, I mean, just Google it, I guess. Just <laughs> um, you can go to joshharmonymusic.com. Um, we'll kind of guide you that way. <clears throat> do, what, do you put your music up on there? Is a lot of your uh, albums or... all up on there nice yeah you can find me i'd love to do an east coast tour if anybody's down to any bands listening or anybody wants to play hit me i've got christoph and colleen um are in my band and we we play shows a lot here and we actually did a west coast tour not that long ago um we're getting ready to put out some new music as well um really soon this time in it'll go up on your site Hell yeah. Thank you, Josh. You're the man, and uh, we'll catch up soon.